I was just overwhelmed with requests to do a live video series in my Facebook group dealing with super picky eaters. So I thought I'd share a bit of it right here too. As with everything else you'll ever hear on this podcast, my approach is a little unconventional, even counterintuitive. But after you hear what I'm going to share, I think you'll want to wipe the wicked smile off your stepmom face before you serve your next meal. Tracy here. Welcome to season two of the Essential Stepmom podcast. Unconventional advice and inspiration about the womanly art of raising someone else's kids. Why unconventional? Because statistics show that nearly three quarters of step families don't last more than five years. So the conventional wisdom, the general consensus, the status quo are all leading stepmoms straight for the gutter. In this podcast, we look outside the box for better answers, for counterintuitive strategies to help us fight the instincts that don't serve us well, and to grow a new parenting reflex that really supports us and everyone else on this crazy journey. This season will feature interviews with some of the most interesting people I know, sharing their outside-the-box expertise as it applies specifically to step families. You're going to hear about modern Buddhism in step parenting, the stress around money in step parenting, new perspectives and insights about bio moms, how to deal with the prospect of never having a child of your own, coping with burnout and adrenal exhaustion, and using the challenges of step parenting to truly become that better version of yourself. heard the phrase, let them eat cake? Maybe you have, but you're not too clear where it comes from. Marie Antoinette was the queen of France in the years leading up to the French Revolution, living the life of typical royal excess while her subjects were quite literally starving to death because of failed crops and other 18th century miseries. So as the story goes, When she was informed that her people were dying in great numbers because there was no bread, she said, qu'il mange de la brioche, which basically means, well, they could eat pastries, or something similarly entitled and unhelpful that sealed her epic unpopularity and led to her eventual beheading. The reason I'm telling the story is that I like to remember the phrase, let them eat cake, to remind myself that I'm not the boss of what anyone actually eats in my house, and I don't want them to gang up on me one day and lop my head off for messing with their food. It's not my job to make someone else's kids eat what I consider to be good food. It's my job to foster my long-term relationship with those kids, which is 1,000 times more important than carrots versus pizza. I decided to explore this topic on the podcast today because of a thread that appeared in our Facebook group this week that got so much traction. Here's an excerpt. Hi ladies, how do I deal with my 10-year-old stepson's extremely selective eating? I can't just walk away from family mealtimes. We either end up eating the four or five foods he likes or it's a big drama at every meal. I'm on board with the concept that the adults decide what, when and where to eat whereas the kids decide if and how much they want to eat. 
no forcing to eat, but they won't get other food until the next meal. The easy way would be to just cook two different dinners, but I'm very much aware that it's not the right way to go. And here are just a few words from the many responses. I am of the opinion that here is the meal we made, eat what you want, but there won't be alternative foods. And this bounces between number one and number two on my ready to blow a gasket list. <laughs> and both my husband and I have observed the kids becoming pickier over time and attribute this to the much more grab and go takeout oriented lifestyle at their other house. So what a rich topic this is. We already see walking away from mealtimes, letting the kids decide if and how much they eat, but not what or when, cooking different dinners, eat what's on the table, they get spoiled at bio moms. Before we unpack these and other ideas, I wanna let you know that if food is something you struggle with at your house, help is on the way. I got so much positive response when I floated the idea of repeating a four-part live stream series I did last year, very specifically for stepmoms on how to feed picky eaters. I'm gonna go ahead and do that next week. It's gonna run from Monday, March 9 through Thursday, March 12th, and you'll be able to sign up for the links and to download the recipes. Stick around until the end of today's podcast and I'll give you all the details. But first, because I'm that unconventional kind of girl, I'm going to take a slight detour from talking about the actual food-based solutions. First, we have to untangle the different problems posed by the picky eating and deal with them one at a time instead of just thrashing around inside the snarled threads of a complex situation. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that nobody really cares about the food when it comes right down to it. It's one of the threads for sure, and we can actually fix that without too much trouble. The bigger problems are, number one, it's clearly a control thing. And to you, that means manipulation and it ought to be nipped in the bud. Number two, it's a parenting thing. And you hate to see your partner not doing what you think needs to be done. And number three, you were raised with a certain attitude towards eating and you're either determined that this child should be raised the same way because it's the right way or you're hell-bent on not visiting the same food trauma on any other child that you had to endure. Let's examine these in reverse. You don't know how many stepmoms I see on social media saying things like, I was raised that you eat what's on your plate. Or, I say, if you don't like it, you can have nothing until the next meal. I want you to think back to one food story that stands out in your memory from your childhood. I have a few that I can share. I went to my best friend's cottage for a weekend when I was about 10 years old. One lunchtime, my friend's mom presented us with salami sandwiches. Perfect, I thought, I love salami. Only our ideas of what constituted a salami sandwich were actually worlds apart from a cultural point of view. My Eastern European heritage dictated rye bread and mustard. My dad actually likes his with ketchup, which I find disgusting. Although I love ketchup on anything else. The sandwich on my plate that day consisted of thickly buttered slices of Wonder Bread 
with a slice of salami inside. I, I really thought I was going to gag. Like, how was I going to eat this? I suppose I forced myself to do it. At least I hope I did. But it was a terrible shock to my system. Clearly, since I'm recalling that horrible event, like a full half a century later, my mom was a severely underweight child. And she was sent to some kind of special school where they fed her a special lunch aimed at fattening her up, I suppose. She had always had a strong distaste for raw tomatoes. And she clearly remembers sitting for what seemed like hours in front of her plate in the school cafeteria until those tomatoes disappeared. Not just once, every time. And did she learn her lesson? That tomatoes are really not that bad? No, of course not. Once she was sprung from that place, she didn't touch a tomato until she was in her 60s. It took her 50 years to get over the trauma of being forced to eat tomatoes until she could actually enjoy one. My daughter once threw up as a toddler after eating some banana. Probably not at all because of the banana, but the association is so strong for her that nothing can induce her to put anything banana-flavored into her mouth to this day. So, in my case, I was not being forced to eat the salami sandwich, but I felt compelled to display good manners. But what if I had to spend every other weekend there cheerfully swallowing something that felt completely abhorrent to me? I might have sucked it up one more time, and then after that inexplicably burst into tears and run out of the room. My mom was absolutely raised to eat all of what her was on her plate, not by her own mother, but by someone mean who didn't care that she really and truly couldn't bear tomatoes. My daughter has an accidental association of a food with barfing and who can blame her for not wanting to repeat that. I mean, how many of you have sworn off tequila or Jack Daniels for the same reason? My mother never made us eat what we didn't like and she certainly never served up a raw tomato that I recall. It might be because the idea to eat what's on your plate didn't come from her own parents, but she would never have wanted to visit that torment on her own kids. On the other hand, lots of people do want to replay the dinner table traumas of their own childhood. Is there anyone alive who thinks they actually liked being treated that way? Why are we so attached to the idea that we had to do it so you should have to do it? Well, there are a couple of possible explanations that spring to mind. One is that it makes your inner child have some company in their misery. You don't feel so alone and unseen inside if you can see other kids suffering the same fate. Another answer is that you can sort of redeem your parents for doing this to you if you honor the way that you were raised as the only way. That way, your parents didn't have a choice in how they taught you to eat. They were following a kind of parenting imperative. This is the way to raise kids, and anything else is just irresponsible. So that means your parents weren't being mean. They were just being responsible. Either way, as a step-parent, you will never survive the kind of feelings you had towards your mom or dad in the moment they were making you eat liver or whatever else it was you couldn't stand. You don't have the benefit of the hardwired, unconditional love between biological parent and child. 
Don't forget that more than two-thirds of second families don't last. It's not a joke to say that you have to have a strategy that puts your relationship first and green beans later. The second thing I mentioned is that maybe it's a parenting thing. Like, your problem is not so much about the food, but that it's really hard to watch how your partner is choosing to parent around this food problem. You just can't avoid seeing evidence that the two of you have a very different idea of how to raise a child, and this worries you. Of course, if you happen also to have your own child sitting at the same table, it's impossible to allow one child to say no to the dinner every night in favor of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, while your child has to eat the perfectly normal pasta or chicken and salad. This particular example would make me want to refer back to the advice I give about handling different rules for bio and stepkids. You may have heard me say this before, but for kids who complain that your rules are more restrictive than those of your spouse, you can just say, I'm not the mom of him or her or them. I'm the mom of you. I don't get to make rules for them. I make rules for you. That usually does it, believe it or not. As for seeing your spouse in an unflattering light, this is a tough one. I think we take for granted how much sex appeal there is in seeing a man, or a woman for that matter, being a great parent. Is it just me? It's sexy! I know that's one of the main reasons I fell for my husband. He's just an amazing dad. And it's hard for me when I see him doing something that feels to me like substandard parenting. It's a turnoff. There, I said it. It's an unattractive side of your spouse that you would rather not see. And it's too bad because it's there in your face at every meal. My advice, if this is where you find yourself, is to remember that you too are wearing a pair of sort of mind-altering glasses. You can only see the world through a lens of your own personal experience and past conditioning. Things look perfectly obvious to you because of every second of your life experience right up to this moment. And every person on the planet has their own glasses and their own obvious truths. Your truths are not better than your spouse's truths. They're just yours. As I've said before, your partner deserves the opportunity to mess up with his or her kids and to figure out how to fix it, all without you hovering and scoring his or her efforts. The first thing on most people's list of gripes with picky eaters is that it looks like a control thing. And you're right. But there's a difference between control and manipulation. When a child is manipulating, they're looking for a way to be the boss, to get the parent to do their bidding. And if this is the case, you usually see it in other ways as well, not just with food. This speaks to the way a parent is able to provide good boundaries for a child, and that's something really essential to the child's sense of safety. On the other hand, feeling in control is extremely important for children, as much as it is for you and I. Food is a point of control even for tiny babies. As they say, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Nobody can make you actually swallow what you don't want. And in the case of infants, if they don't want it, they are perfectly capable of giving it right back. There are babies who refuse mother's milk 
or who torture you with colic if you don't adjust your diet to suit their precise needs. Everybody wants to be in control of something in their environment. And for kids, food is pretty much all they have. And kids whose families have split up, who have to go here and there, drive around from one house and one bedroom to another, never get to be where they want or with whom they want, when they want, they have even more reason to want and I think deserve some control in their lives. Kids also want to eat for comfort, just like adults do. Nobody tells you that you can't have that plate of mashed potatoes with ketchup or pancakes for supper when you feel like it. Wouldn't you just kill someone who opened the pantry door while you're stealing a spoonful of peanut butter and said, what the hell do you think you're doing there? So if there's a kid who is basically cooperative and easygoing, who makes a royal fuss over dinner, it's probably not a manipulation thing, but more of a control thing. Or it can be a plain and simple taste buds thing. I learned something really important from my friend Tanya Heinemann, who was featured back in episodes four and five of season two. Tanya is my go-to person for all things nutrition related, and I actually refer my local clients to her for her specific expertise in food-related healing. Tanya says that our taste buds get hijacked by things like salt, sugar, and especially MSG and other chemical additives in processed foods. If kids are eating a lot of prepared foods or fast foods, it really hijacks their taste buds and makes everything else taste like cardboard. And it takes up to six weeks to retrain your taste buds to appreciate whole foods again when you cut out those things. So if the kids don't even live with you all the time, there is no chance that you can correct the way things taste to them just by wishing it. This is a long project, but it's not a lost cause. My husband's kids were raised on takeout, but since coming to live here, they've both become really healthy eaters. It didn't happen overnight, but they now have all the rest of their lives to make better choices and feel better because of what they're eating. If your stepchild is manipulating in lots of little ways, like constantly bargaining or guilting to get their way, then it's no surprise that food should be on the table as a tool as well. And this is where you take a step back, maybe even two steps back, and let your partner figure it out on their own. One stepmom in the group asked, if bio mom is also a really picky eater, who's supposed to help and teach this kid? And the answer is, not you. That's not because you wouldn't be glad to do it, but because the child has to be ready to accept and integrate help from you, who are not either of his parents. He has to take the help and teaching you want to offer and actually chew and swallow it. And no amount of your goodwill can make him actually do that. So continuing to try will only make you frustrated and resentful. The very best thing you can do to get the right result is to get out of the way and let the situation play out in a natural way. Your partner will eventually get tired of being played and will step into his or her integrity as a parent and learn to hold appropriate limits. It's not easy, but they deserve a place to practice and fail and try again without getting laughed at. There are lots of books, videos, podcasts, and other resources for learning good parenting strategies. 
One of my favorite books is called The Collapse of Parenting by Leonard Sachs. It speaks to a situation many divorced dads find themselves in of really needing to be liked because the kids have the power to decide that they don't like the rules and they don't want to visit. I think that that book might be really helpful for a parent struggling with this kind of thing. Again, it's called The Collapse of Parenting by Leonard Sachs. I'll put that in the show notes. Any move to regain the hold of the reins as a parent will fix the point number two. Your partner will be moving to minimize the unattractive quality of bad parenting, and that can only be a good thing for your relationship. And you're going to spend a few minutes thinking back to your early experiences with food, both good and bad. Where do your ideas about mealtimes come from? The reason this is so important to deal with at its roots is that it's essential for your family to get the benefits of sitting at the table together, whether you eat the same food or not, because family mealtime is the single most important determinant of learning outcomes and school success. I'm going to say that again. Family mealtime is not negotiable. It's the single most important reason that kids do better in school. And I'm not saying that just because I was raised in a home where we ate dinners together, although my way is clearly the best way in many things. There's even a website called thefamilydinnerproject.org that has all the statistics and a ton of resources on how to start eating together and having meaningful conversations with your kids, if that's a really new thing to you or your partner. Lots of us have grown up just grabbing something and heading to the TV or to our rooms. I know my stepson used to tell us that none of his friends seemed to eat with their families, and he was always just mortified when we would make his teenage friends sit down to eat with us. But the kids have grown to love this time together. It's when we get to connect. So I promised some serious practical help for those of you for whom it really is a food thing. Like your partner is on board, you have the kids at least half the time, and you're actually interested in nutrition and where the blazes they're getting their vitamins from. I invite you to tune in to my four-part live stream series on Facebook. It's called the Stepmom's Complete Guide to Outsmarting the Pickiest Eaters. And you can sign up to get the link to watch live or on replay or via audio only. And you'll get a bonus download with all the tips and recipes. That's happening from March 9th until the 12th. And you can go to bit.ly slash stepmomtricks. That's bit.ly slash stepmom tricks to sign up. I'll put that link in the show notes as well. You can do this from wherever in the world you're listening from now. That means you, stepmoms of Johannesburg and Pretoria, and you listeners in Rome and Milan. I just love, love, love how this podcast is bringing us all together. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to rate or review us on iTunes. That's the very best way you can help other high-performing, alternative-thinking stepmoms to stumble onto this show and discover a community of like-minded listeners around the world. 
According to Anchor FM, the platform I'm recording on, we're being heard now in 36 countries. I find that really exciting. If you're a social media kind of person, you're welcome to join my Facebook community by sending a join request to The Spectacular Stepmom. If you'd rather just get a more intimate weekly email from me, send me a message with the subject weekly email to info at essentialstepmom.com. Finally, I'd love to hear from you with questions or comments or situations you'd like me to address on this podcast. You can leave a voice message right here 